This is the Shape America podcast, hosted by Colin Brooks and Matt Pomeroy, making 50 million strong by 2029. Welcome to the Shape America podcast. I'm your host, Matt Pomeroy, and I'm flying solo for today, but I've got uh, uh, really excited just to, to chat with our guest today, and it's it's one guest, and we'll introduce him uh, here very soon, but uh, I am flying solo. Stephanie's on about a two-week hiatus. Um, she's traveling around uh, Sweden and Finland and Norway, and so she's out there in Europe and, and having a really good time with that, and Colin is continuing his PhD work and uh, he's in a stats final as we speak so we uh, make sure you uh, send your best wishes to Colin and and best of luck on that uh, and then uh, he's got some classes and stuff over the summer so it's been busy for all of us but I'm excited to be here and uh, just wanted to introduce our guest today is Bob Pangrazi um, and Bob we're really excited to have you on the show uh, and we're talking it's it's health and physical education dynasty. So this is again one of our um, one of our new series, and this is the second part of the series. And we're excited to introduce you to what we're calling the Mesa model. And again, Bob was one of the centerpieces behind that, with many many other working parts around it. Uh, but Bob, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be with you, and. Uh, Sorry you have to run solo, but I think you and I can handle it. I think it. we can, too. I think the conversation will be outstanding. I'm really excited to dig deeper into this. But, uh, you know, this, this, Mesa mo- this Mesa model, the district has been thriving uh, for over 45 years. And, it's uh, again, it's clear the things that you're doing there are just outstanding for, uh, for teachers in health and PE and students that are going through that program. And, uh, like I say, I'm really excited just to dive deep into it and kind of learn, learn the makings of the model and, again, we're trying to bring you this for that professional development so you can take some of these ideas and you can implement some of, some of them within your district or within your school. Uh, you know, maybe not all of them, maybe not as, as deep as, as what's happening in Mesa, but there's some really good things that we could talk about in that, you know, uh, health and physical educators can learn from. Um, so, Bob, you just want to give uh, just a little bit of background information on yourself so everyone can get to know you here on the podcast and uh, we'll, we'll move on from there. Yeah, I'll do that in a nutshell. Uh, I, I started as a fifth grade teacher, and and uh, then I, I went on and was fortunate enough to work with Vic Dower in an elementary PE program, and that's really where I developed my uh, my foundation of of teaching physical education. I taught physical education then for another seven years before I went to Arizona State University and trained teachers for over 30 years and I've since then spent time traveling or speaking around the country so this is my 53rd year in wow. education and uh, I'm just as proud to be uh, you know a, a teacher today as the day I started I get just excited about the start of a school year and heading back into the classroom as I always have and 
I think people that know me and probably when you listen to me today, uh, one of the things you'll find is I've never lost my passion and love for the profession. Um, I'm not one of those people who've grown cynical because of all the years that have passed and you start to see all the things that are wrong with the profession. There's still a lot of great things. So um, with that in mind, um, I, like I said, I started uh, as a fifth grade teacher and I got the chance to teach elementary PE under uh, ESEA uh, elementary uh, 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 grant and that was my opportunity to really learn about PE and work alongside Vic Dower and really get my feet wet and I've always said that in that six years and I became the supervisor of PE in, in the Pullman schools where Washington State University is um, I had the opportunity to make more mistakes probably than any other <laughs> human being and get some positive feedback and I've always been convinced that the very best thing to become a great teacher is to have the opportunity to make mistakes and then get feedback. And one of the problems today is a lot of teachers leave uh, teacher training programs, go out, are put out on the field or out in an activity setting, and they never get any feedback. Nobody ever sees them. The only feedback they get is when they're absent, absent and somebody missed their free time period and wonder if we could make it up. So. Um, I, I think the greatest thing that ever can happen to a teacher is to have somebody looking over your shoulder for a long period of time and helping you become the best you can be. And that changed my entire perspective throughout my career. So I'll always be uh, so appreciative of what happened uh, in, in Pullman. With that, um, part of my responsibilities grew from designing an elementary PE program with the help of Vic Dower to then writing a PE program and developing a curriculum and a roadmap to where we were going. And I, I, when I use the word curriculum, I want to make it clear about what I'm talking about. A, a curriculum is really a roadmap to success, as I see it. It tells you where you're going. Um, our profession, I think, has been frozen in time by the unwillingness of teachers to look, seek out, and develop a curriculum. Uh, instead, their curriculum oftentimes is what game should we play today, or I don't think I want to teach that unit because it takes too much equipment and it's just too darn hard to set up and I'm tired, it's Friday, and I don't want to do it. And I don't think there's anywhere else um, that you could go uh, in the academic world in a school setting and have teachers tell you, well, when I don't feel like fractions, I'm not teaching them. And when I don't feel like teaching vowels, I'm not teaching them. I'm only teaching the things I'm good at and the things I like. And so my goal was to write a curriculum that was designed around the needs of kids. First and foremost, what you do in physical education should be based on the needs of kids and if it's good for kids and if it teaches to I don't care whether you want to call it the national standards or whatever, but I see three major outcomes for our profession that we've sometimes uh, uh, veered from, and that is skill development, uh, a understanding of physical fitness and the impact that uh, a positive feeling about physical fitness, not excelling at physical fitness, but an experience that leaves you feeling with perceived competence, and thirdly, um, physical activity and health and understanding 
um, what it takes to be healthy for a lifetime. Um, and that will never change. Over the 50 years, I don't think that's ever changed. It's good for kids, and these three things are the pillar of my program. And I don't think that will, will ever change in my mind. Um, so, uh, uh, having said that, by the way, I might say that Gopher has just put up, uh, I've just donated my curriculum to Gopher, um, and it'll be free of charge for any teacher that wants to get on the website, and they can use a yearly curriculum right there already made for them, and then they can take it and modify it and change it and drop and drag pieces as they want. So. Um, I still, to this day, am trying to help teachers with that important part because if you don't know where you're going, how do you know when you got there and how do you know what you've accomplished? Right. There's absolutely no way to know. All right, enough <laughs> of that. Let's talk about the, the elementary PE. I told you I had a little passion for this. You know business. it. Uh, you know uh, it. So I just want to hit on a few things. And I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, just, I love it. the fact you know, that you're talking about getting specific feedback um, from individuals and um, and I do. I think that that is extremely important. And, and, you know, again, I hope teachers out there, you know, think about how they can make that happen and get into other teachers, you know, classroom spaces, uh, PE in general, you know, in the gym and see what they're doing um, and then have other people come in and see you, too. So I think that is my goal for next year, too, is uh, try to take a couple of professional development days to get out and see others and then hopefully include those same people to come and see me teach and get some real specific feedback from uh you know, physical educators. Uh, so I, I love that fact. And then uh, and then the curriculum planning, uh, I put it, uh, and this episode hasn't been released yet, but we've got a summertime PD um, episode here coming out soon. And that was the number one thing that I said that I think that a teacher could do uh, during the summertime um, to get that planned out, to get that curriculum map, that scope and sequence developed, and uh, to have that ready to go. So uh I guess I just wanted to give a big shout out because I love those two things that you said. So, oh well, thank you. And, and you know, I, I think you hit the nail on the head about uh, seeing others as well as curriculum. But I always told, and we still tell the teachers in Mesa, teach in front of somebody. Don't teach in a vacuum. You never learn a thing. You do the same thing over and over. You know, it's like a teacher who's taught 20 years and has one day of experience. They've done the same thing over and over and over. Uh, teach in front of others. And so we invite parents at least three times a year to come in and visit. We want them to come in any time they feel like it. And I know schools are starting to look like prisons with security and fences, but we can still get parents in there and have them watch their child. It's the best thing nice. in the world, uh, you know, just as, just as an aside. Uh, and when you teach in front of somebody, you always teach better. And you always work harder to be the best you can be. And we all need that motivation. Um, so, and, and by the way, Matt, hop in anytime you want. You know, pause and put a hand up. You're, you're, you're always welcome. Love your comments. Sounds good. So um, the, at this point, uh, at this point in time, you're in, you're in Washington. And uh, what, at what point in time did you leave Washington and did you make your way down to Arizona? In 1973, I headed for Arizona, and I took a, 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 a peer of mine um, who had taught for me in Pullman, and I, I brought him to, to uh, down with me, and he interviewed in five school districts, and I took a job at ASU uh, as an assistant professor, 
and I brought Gene Peterson, uh, Dr. Gene Peterson along, and he interviewed in five districts, and they all offered him a job because he had a curriculum, which was our cur dynamic curriculum we had developed in Pullman. Okay. And they wanted to see it, and that's how we got started. And we picked the district we wanted. We picked Mesa. Um, we went in, and the superintendent said, okay, we'll hire you. We'll give you one year. If I don't like the program, you're gone. If it's good, we'll expand it. And that's how we got our start. Um, so from that point, um, we started working together. And I, this is one key point I want to make. Universities and school districts have to work together. If I'm talking to university people, I'm telling university people right now, you aren't in the schools enough. You don't know what's happening out in the schools, number two. And number three, I would never and never did take a doctoral student who hadn't taught. Aaron Beatley is my co-author on my Dynamic yeah. PE book. He came to me, he wanted to earn a doctorate. And I said, uh, what kind of teaching experience do you have? And he said, uh, and I said, well, I can't take you until you have teaching experience. He went back to Texas, got two years of teaching experience. I took him, and I, I might say, um, you know, I think his record speaks for itself. He's, he's done a tremendous job in the profession. So when I'm talking to, teach, to professionals, uh, teacher preparation professionals, I tell them, you've got to have experience. And that's the biggest mistake they're making is bringing in doctoral students who don't have experience. The second part of that, though, is university school districts have to work closer with universities as well, because that's where the dreams, that's where the guidance, that's where the new ideas, that's where a lot of great things can come from and the best thing of all is if you can work with the university you can get them to prepare your teachers the way they want. Many years ago Daryl Seedentop wrote an article on how to create great teachers and it was all about the university and school relationship and too often those are tremendously uh, diverse. I mean in fact the reason I wanted to go into teacher preparation was because I felt that what I learned in my teacher preparation program didn't prepare me at all for teaching. I had no idea how to manage kids. I had no idea how to work with faculty. There were so many things I didn't know. So we went into Mesa. We started immediately working together because I was at ASU and Gene was in the Mesa School District. And basically, let me just give you a few principles of the program that I think will help you understand. Number one, we hire teachers who have been trained in the program prior to getting a teaching job. The hardest thing in the world to do is to retra retrain a teacher who's been on the job longer than seven okay. years. I'll say that one more <laughs> time. Yeah, it's hardest thing I've ever done in my life is to get teachers who have been on the job seven years doing whatever they want to do and then say to them, we're going to retrain you in a new program. You look out there and see how many times that's been successful. Teachers do everything they can to hold on to what they have and what they've learned. And when a new philosophy comes along, they fight it and they say, well, maybe that'll go away in two or three years. I'll just stick to what I'm doing. So number one, they came to the school district with the right philosophical standing. Secondly, we picked out the best of the best because there are better teachers and lesser teachers and we looked for the best. Third, we bargained with the school district and said, you gotta have equipment 
and money to teach a good program when we bargained right off the top and said you don't teach reading without books you don't teach math without pencils you don't teach anything in schools anymore without a computer how can you expect us to teach without equipment and then fourthly we designed a curriculum and said we do have a roadmap it's not an option of whether you're going to follow it you are going to follow it or take a job somewhere else because this has been tried and proven we have research to back it up it's been field tested over and over and over but having said that and this is the one thing i want to make abundantly clear because i hear this once in a while i hear people say ah oh, you know they're nothing but a bunch of pan crazy robots and you know it just makes me laugh like crazy because here's somebody following a curriculum but I've never once taken away the creativity of a teacher. Right. I can look at you and watch you teach and it'll be totally different than me and totally different from Aaron Beatley, but you excel in your own right. I never want to take away who you are. I never want to take away your ability to create new activities and add to the curriculum. You, we have ways in which you can add new ideas to your curriculum and if it's really good, then we train the rest of our teachers with it and share it with them. And then finally is the in-servicing aspect of teachers that made this program last, and that is every month all teachers have to go to a workshop, young, old, tall, or short. It's not a matter of whether you want to or you've got something else. You're going to that, and even if you decide to coach, you're still going to the in-service. Right. There is no higher priority than the PE in service. In other words, what we did basically was we said, in this business, when you take the job as a PE teacher, there's no higher priority than being a PE teacher. Coaching's not Im more important. After school sports are not Im more important. Anything else you do is not more important, but being a PE teacher is important and we value it and we're gonna hold you accountable to All it. All right, all right. So. We've kind of got the, the, I guess, the roadmap here of the model. So, um, I, you know, you've, you've kind of laid that out for us, which is perfect. So we'll, now we'll try to get into a little bit more of those details kind of behind it, too. And I do, I, I, I love the fact that everything just kind of ties into, uh, ties into each other. And, and they are. They're all extremely important. And again, just want you, you know, as you're listening, just to think about, uh, you know, how you can start to utilize some of these things within your program, within your area, uh, with your, you know, surrounding college, uh, just any of those different things. Um, so that's kind of where we're going and what we're trying to accomplish here. So let's talk about that. Uh, and again, I know you started with ASU and the partnership with the university. So I guess let's kind of just go back to that. Um, I guess kind of if you could talk me through, like I, I, I get the idea of how it started, but how has it also progressed and how have you also uh, kept them interconnected for so many years as well? So um, just give me, I guess, just a few details as to like what's exactly making that partnership as of right now. Uh, and again, like how did, how has it continued to develop over, over all these years? Well, um, as it worked out, uh, Gene Peterson then developed the program, and I've always given him great credit because one of the things that universities and schools have to know is that in school matters, the, the school personnel are number one. They're the boss. They do. And in the university, I'm the boss. But we have to learn to come together 
and work with each other and communicate. So number one is communication, and you have to meet regularly. And you have to invite university personnel to your school so they start to feel what's going on and what they need. The greatest thing in the world that made me, uh, and I, I mean this in a, in a very humble way, but it made me, I think, a, 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 an outstanding uh, trainer of teachers, a teacher preparation person, was that I was around so many teachers all the time and I learned from them and they taught me what worked and didn't work. And when they said, you know, this doesn't really work, time and again, I had to re-look at what I was teaching and what I was doing. I had to retrain myself and rework myself just as much as they did. And I guess that's the key, isn't it, to all of education, that if a teacher doesn't stay abreast of the field, if a teacher doesn't stay up to date, if a teacher doesn't say, I want new, I want, to, I want to get better, I want to improve myself, there has to be a burning desire um, to want to be the best teacher you can be. And it works on both sides of the aisle. It works at the university. And too often what happens is that a university will work with a school district, and I've seen it happen even with the um, PEP grants. Okay. You know, you get all this money and you got all these people coming in for three years, and then I go back two, three years after the PEP grant, and guess what? It's gone, huh? Right back to the same old thing. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I wonder why. So uh, it, my point is that what's to be gained if a university person comes in and then after a year or two of getting a nice program started and helping people become better leaves the scene? I think if you're in teacher education, you have to be determined to be in the public schools or private schools, either one, uh, but just be in schools all the time. It's not an option, and I, and I don't mean that you're there, you know, day in, day out. I'm talking about you can come in once every other week after you get things rolling, but you've got to be out there, and you've got to be seeing these people, and you've got to look at them like you're, they are your cohorts. Uh, I, I always thought my teachers ended up being much better teachers than I was, and I thought I was a hell of a teacher at one time, but then I'd watch all these new teachers I trained, and Gosh, you know, I knew I, I, I couldn't do it. They, were, they just turned into great teachers. And that's always, uh, I, I think, anybody's dream is to prepare someone and make them better than you were. Uh, so are you, are you bringing out your PEAT students as well, um, you know, to, to see these teachers uh, teaching? Is it just kind of you kind of popping out there, just continuing to check on them as well? A good combination of both? Oh, that's a... That's a great question, and, and now you're digging right into the heart and the meat of the whole Trying. thing. When, yeah, good job, good question. Um, absolutely, Pete students are, are out there a lot. First of all, they, they have to observe for a semester uh, in that program, and they're out there at least you know two mornings or afternoons a week. And then um, after that, um, they come to the in-services, they're part of that. Then as, when they're in my methods classes, we would go out to the school and do three or four teachings um, uh, where they each, every teacher, every uh, PEAT student would take a class and go out and teach uh, and it's sort of a field day, but we called it an instructional day because it was about teaching, not playing games. They had to teach a four-part lesson, organize that lesson, present it, lay out their equipment ahead of time, do everything a regular teacher does, and then 
um, we'd bring it back in and evaluate it. We did that four times a semester. And then, of course, they student taught in this program. So um, we were, that's another thing that I, I just am aghast at sometimes in teacher training is that we take student teachers, we, tra we train them for three and a half years, and then we let them pick where they want a student teach, and they go out with a, you know, a, a master teacher who doesn't care all that much and says, oh, you can do anything you want. You go ahead and take the class from this point forward. And they go and watch films or go do something else. And, you know, I've always said I can train a, a teacher in three and a half years and make them a great teacher, send them out to a poor student teaching experience and undo everything right. I did in, in one fell swoop. So your, your supervisors, your master teachers become extremely important, extremely important. Uh, in fact, I got to be honest with you, I think the master teachers that we had have in the MESA program do more for teacher training than I probably did. Uh, and Paul Darst and all my colleagues did. I, I think, I, I just think more was done with a good master teacher is worth their weight in gold. And, and it, it seems like that part of teacher education oftentimes slips by a lot of places. Well, I mean, that's why we call it a partnership, right? You know, I mean, it's, it's the university doing their part. It's the schools out there doing their part. It's the cooperating teachers and the, and the student teachers working together. So, I mean, it is a true partnership. It, it really comes down to. You couldn't say it any better. And until we work together, uh, it, it's just not going, to, uh, not going to work out well, unfortunately. And so um, I, I think that kind of cooperation. And, and, but I will say this, just like I think in, a, in an elementary school or a high school, the PE teacher should be the activity champion for that school. They should be seeing that activity promotion and health promotions going on and on and on. And if you have a good PE teacher keeping that school alive with activity and health, that teacher is worth everything to the school and that PE program will never be dropped. I'll say the same thing with the professional prep people at universities. They can be the person that ties a great program together and and it excites everybody to do well and want to do well and work with supervisors and everybody else uh, to do well. And I do think um, that that's the other thing. In a school, there's a lack of supervisors sometimes and we've got to somehow get either principals or a supervisor of PE, but someone who's going around and observing that PE teacher too often Nobody ever sees the PE teacher. They stand out there as an island. They never see anybody. And then when there's a faculty meeting, the PE teacher complains about having to go to it because it doesn't pertain to them. But it does. It does because they become part of that faculty group and they'll yeah. be supported. Someday they'll want that faculty to support them. And we've got to get over that narrow point of view. You know, it, it is, you said it so well about teamwork, Matt, but it, it, it is this cooperative it's this village approach to getting a program done right and I guess I feel pretty blessed and lucky that way because my principal is one of those he's very active he's he's out and about in the school he's always seeing the things that I'm doing and I guess um, yeah I mean I think that's that's definitely something that needs to be seen um, you know and again you talked about inviting people in like that's that's a person that you do need to invite in um, you know that's a person that that does need to see you um, 
I also feel like they can't give you that specific feedback that sometimes you need, uh, where again, you've kind of talked about like, that's where it's important to have other PE teachers come in and see you as well. Um, but you're right. And then I think this, the, the second thing I just kind of want to tie into that is like, again, I'm on social media and I'm on social media a lot. And a lot of our school is, and the neat part is there's a lot of my teachers that see what's going on in my classroom too. And they, you know, and they, they love it, but yeah, you do need to have everyone on board with that. Um, yeah, I might just add as part of the Mesa program too, um, is that we release uh, PE teachers to go see another PE teacher. In fact, we expect him to go see three or four PE teach other peers um, during the year. And sometimes if we think they need help in a specific area, we say, go see this peer because we know darn well that peer is doing it really well and they can learn from that person. That's um, outstanding. One of the things... <laughs> That's outstanding. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, one of the things that makes such a big difference is when a teacher talks to a teacher and says, you know, because the first thing out of a teacher's mouth if you ask them to change is, well, you know, that, that, they, that may work in your school, but that wouldn't work in my school. We're low income, we're free and reduced. We all, oh, well, we have upper income. Oh, we're sports oriented. I mean, I've heard it all as to why we can't do it in this school or that school. And the beautiful thing is when teachers start to go observe others and they can see it can be done in a number of different settings, they become believers. So um, it's very important you get out and see other peers. You, you hit the nail on the head with that one. <laughs> Uh, can you, I'm just trying to wrap my head around this. Can you give me an idea of how many teachers are in the Mesa, like school district? And I guess how many of them do you know? Uh, I mean, to me, what I'm hearing right now is, you know, almost all of them, which probably isn't true, but I guess I just kind of want to get, get an idea. Are most of them ASU grads? And do you know that many of them? Or, uh, is this just a pretty high percentage? Oh, no, I, I, you know, and, and particularly when I was working at ASU, I mean, I knew them all, but wow. today I know most of them. I mean, they, we service about, uh, at one time we had about uh, 45,000 elementary kids. Right now we're down to about 35,000 elementary kids and, and about 80 uh, elementary PE teachers. And of course I know them all. I mean, what, what kind of supervisor would I be if I didn't go around and see them all and and I, I, when there's 80 of them, you have to make it to make sure you have to have a chart and you have to make sure you get around to see them at least once or twice a year um, because otherwise you, you do more than that. You don't have any time for your own job. But, uh, and Mesa's a large district, so there's a lot of driving and a lot of time. Yeah. I, I always felt that, you know, as a professor, that's what's hard for a professor. I get it. Okay, I, I, I want schools to understand the, the difficulty of being a professor as well. First of all, professors are never tenured based on how much time they spend in the schools and how well they do in their teacher education classes. You're tenured because of what you produce academically, uh, your publications, etc. And so, you know, you look at my record, I've published probably 150 articles, uh, authored over 60 books, spoken, you know, all over the country. I, I had to give up an arm and a leg to get out to the school that much, but I never lost sight of the fact that I couldn't have written and I couldn't have done and spoke and done the things I do if I wasn't in the schools. And I still am out in the schools seeing if things work because 
That's how I find yeah. out. I, I, I get this great idea in my head, and then I go out and try it, and it sucks. You know, and it's, I say, well, you never know. Revise that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you just never know. And I, you know, I w- kind of wish I had that. Uh, just the just what you're talking about right now. But I have connected with, um, you know, some professors uh, just on Twitter. And and the cool part is you've connected on Voxer as well, and we can talk and have these conversations. And they've given me ideas to try. And uh, like, I absolutely love that partnership. Uh, it's not the same as, you know, someone walking into your school and be able to see you teach and see, you know, what they were talking about um, in action, too. So uh, I can kind of just feel um, just the excitement and, and the learning that can continue to happen, you know, throughout your career. So uh, I just it's let outstanding just to add on yeah. to that. Yeah. Just let me add on to that, because I think you hit upon a, a really neat point, And that is there's really a culture in the MESA program. There's a culture that encompasses you. You're part of a group. You're important to the group. We need your ideas. We need your input. We need you to take this out and make it work. And we are judged by the poorest of the group. And if you're the poorest of the group, you're pulling our entire group down. Remember, when we're judged as teachers, we're judged by the poorest of the lot, by the public, not the best teacher. They always, when they want to tear us down, they go out and say, oh, yeah, I saw this guy. He just rolled out the ball. He couldn't care less. He made our kids run, and they hated it, and blah, 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 blah. They look for the poorest. You have to have a culture that pulls everybody into that group and pulls everybody up. And for the life of me, I don't know why we don't do that better in physical education because we do it great in coaching. We always say, we talk about chemistry, and we say, wow, there's chemistry on this team. The coaches pulled all these players together, the parents together, the, all the coaches are in line with them. And then we go to PE, and we all want to go our own direction and do our own thing and don't care about connecting with anybody I mean, take a look at it. When you look at people in the associations and that sort of thing, we're only getting 5 to 7% of teachers who are in professional organizations. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. It's culture. And, you know, I'm glad to share this because, you know, the culture is working and hopefully it continues to catch on. But I can also see and hear, you know, the time and effort that does go into this as well. Um, and, and again, you've invested a lot of time and effort. And uh, again, I hope that there are many others out there that, that are willing to, uh, you know, continue this push. So, uh, you're, you, you know, you're talking about quality teachers. I'm hearing it. And I know that we've talked about selecting quality teachers. So I guess kind of, you know, kind of moving on and transitioning as well. Like what characteristics are you looking for in your teachers? Um, you know, what are those things that you feel like, you know, are those must haves as you're training them um, and as you see them out in the field um, and just things like that. So what are those common characteristics? Well, you know, the the first thing you always look for, I think, in any human being for any job is enthusiasm and passion. They've got to be alive. They've got to really want to be a teacher. They've got to be enthusiastic. They've got to have charisma. The greatest teachers have that in spades. They, they, just, they just have it. It just oozes out of them. <laughs> so when you're in teacher training, what you have to do, you just don't get people like that any more than you get elite athletes at the highest level when you're coaching. You know, you only get a few. So your job then is to try to teach people to be more enthusiastic and to teach them 
the proper methodology. So I always felt I could take any person if they, and I wanted them to be fit because one of the things about the Mesa program is it's highly demanding. Um, it, it's hard work. In fact, early on, about 10 years into the program, the superintendent said, uh, well, you know, you ask so much of your teachers, I think, you know, they'll all drop out of PE in, in a few years. They never did. We, we had some longtime PE teachers because they kept alive. In fact, if there's one thing that knocks teachers out of PE and out of teaching in general, it's boredom. Yeah, yeah. They get bored, they become cynical, they think nobody cares, and they drop out trying to find something more exciting to well, do. It isn't hard work. Well, and a lot of times, you know, they feel like they're alone too, and you're clearly creating that culture of togetherness. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I, I agree. So what I did was, uh, in, in my teacher prep classes, I always said the, the most important thing I was going to do, a few things, one is to teach them how to manage kids and effectively manage the kids. And I taught them to manage their peers first. In other words, we did peer management. They'd teach something and have to manage their peers. And, you know, that, that is harder than actually doing kids sometimes because you're a little bit embarrassed and uneasy. Yeah. And I figured if they could do it with their peers, they could do it with kids. The second thing was, then I taught them to mechanically be a good teacher. We taught them movement patterns and active management on the floor and active instruction on the floor. I've always said, when you see a great teacher at work, they aren't standing up front telling everybody to do the same thing. They're standing for a few seconds telling everybody, okay, pick this challenge and get to it. I'm coming around to see how you're doing. And then they're on their move, going around and giving individual feedback to individual kids. Group feedback is rarely useful in, in skill development. Individual feedback is always used to, useful because it points to what you need. So we taught them to be movers. We charted them. We showed them how little they were moving. We, we taught them about feedback and how to deliver it. A lot of people think the way they talk and the way they speak is perfect. I was just born a teacher. Baloney, you have to learn how to speak teacherese. You have to learn how to reinforce so you're reinforcing the task instead of the person. So you're just not praising generally and you're praising and giving feedback that's specific. There, we go. there are so many skills that you have to learn along the way and we force them to learn it. We don't ask them to learn it. We force them to learn it. I'll stop a lesson that they're teaching with their peers right on the spot and say, hey, that wasn't specific. That didn't do anything. And yes, at times it seems tough, but there's no way to create change in teachers and produce teachers unless you do. And I can tell you to this day, people in Arizona and elsewhere call and ask if there are any Pangrazy teachers available, teachers that I had contact with. Why? Because they knew they had a product yeah. that was trained and they knew what it stood for, number one, and number two, that those teachers could manage and that those teachers could teach curriculum and that those teachers knew how to deliver. And so even though you may not ooze with charisma and enthusiasm and passion, 
you can mechanically be the very best teacher you can be. And there's not a darn thing wrong with a teacher who's mechanically correct. All right. I like it. I like it. So, and uh, I know we talk a lot about that specific feedback too. You can't just be general. You can't, you know, they've got to know specifically what they're doing and what they're doing well. Um, and it does, it takes a lot of work. Um, so utilizing like systematic observation, is that, is that what you're talking about as you, as you talked about charting as well? Absolutely. Absolutely systematic observation. Uh, in fact, if there was one variable, if I was telling someone who's supervising teachers or a teacher who wants to improve their instruction, teacher movement would be number one of all the things I'd tell them. I can't tell you how many times a teacher says, okay, let's all practice tossing and catching the beanbag. And then they stand there and look at their students. I can't imagine a bigger waste of time. Right. They stand there and look at them, if you can believe that, instead of moving around. I mean, you see a lot of teachers who teach outside, they kill the grass in one spot because they never move from it. And before they can talk, they think they have to run back to that spot where the grass is dead. you got to be out in the field teaching your students to look at you and wherever you are and find you, not the other way around. And teacher movement if I were to pick one variable to start with a teacher who's not very effective, it would be that. And that'll be the one that is hardest for them to learn because they've become lazy, they've, be they've become complacent, they stand, they say something. And it's one of the reasons why many teachers want nothing more but another idea. Give me another idea. I think I'll try that tomorrow. Well, they must have a good curriculum if they pick up a new idea and they're trying it tomorrow. Um, but that's neither here nor there. That's a different issue. But it's about more than an idea, okay? It, it's about your, yourself and, and moving yourself and learning about yourself and moving yourself. And teachers think, well, I'll bring this new idea back and the kids will be with me. Well, they might be until they get bored of that one idea right. and then they're back where they were. So it's, it's a system of being a great teacher and then you can integrate all these different uh, curriculum ideas into it. You, by the way, I always say, if you can't manage kids, you can't teach. Plain and simple. It doesn't matter whether you have the best curriculum in the world. If you can't manage effectively, and I will add that there isn't a teacher in the world who's been fired for not knowing enough curriculum, but there's been plenty of them fired for not being able to manage Very kids. Very true. Very true. So, um, all right. So we've kind of got like some of those big things, those characteristics that we're looking for at quality teachers. Um, so, you know, they're hired and clearly you guys, you know, in Mesa, the model is let's keep training them and, you know, let's continue that development of teachers, um, uh, you know, long past their teacher training days. So uh, let's get into just a few more details about how you run PDs, how teachers continue to learn, uh, you know, what are they training for, um, just some of the specifics with that. Yeah, um, early on when we were just breaking in the, the, the program, PDs were really about how to teach the curriculum. I mean, we had some holdover teachers who had you know, been playing softball or kickball all the time and really didn't know a broad curriculum. And if you know my approach to curriculum, it's, pardon me, it's very broad. It's, it's uh, an alter, uh, uh, units of alter uh, between individual, dual activities and then uh, group activities because 
some kids like individual activities better than large group and and some like dual and yep. so the, you know i think you need to change all the time because philosophically i believe that uh in in curriculum you want to make sure somewhere along the line you're offering something that every kid in class will like you've got to have some stuff in there they'd like so early pds were about tell them how to do the curriculum, what was coming up, and we'd teach two to three weeks ahead of time until the next PD and, and show them with them as students and myself and Dr. Peterson as the supervisor how we wanted it taught. I mean, how we wanted it organized, how we wanted everything um, because we were breaking in a new curriculum. And we did that probably for the first Oh, 10 years until we really got to the point where we had a nice cadre and a nice culture of teachers and then we started getting teachers doing helping us doing some of the in-services and, and training and, and working with us and then Gene was the uh, Peterson Dr. Peterson was the supervisor for many years and then my wife took over uh, Deb Pangrazy and she's changed the focus of the PDs e even more so uh, to a point where she brings in a lot of outside agency. Um, she's been forced to go after, uh, I don't know if she's been forced, but she likes to go over uh, after outside funding and she's done a great job at that. Um, and her PDs then are filled with sometimes people coming from the outside as well as teachers doing it. And then when there's something she really wants done and done in a certain way, <clears throat> then she'll do it and, and train it. So it's kind of a combination of people coming in from the outside, uh, peers teaching peers, and supervisors doing direct instruction and, and training them in that setting. So now they've evolved to the point where they should be uh, and where, you know, we would have had them to that point. But when you're starting a program, your PDs have to be different than after you've matured. How often are they meeting right now? They meet every month. Every month. The, the, th the third Wednesday, they're released at 1 o'clock for PD. Okay. And then how much time do they have? A couple hours? Yeah, they have at least a couple hours. Okay. And that is that elementary through high school? Yes, it is. But um, in, uh, in terms of honesty, um, good stuff happens at elementary. A lot of times, not a lot goes on at the middle schools and high schools. It just doesn't, they're, they, it's just much harder to bring them together. They've got coaching, okay. uh, they've got this and that. I'm, I'm not gonna make excuses yeah. for them. They need, they need PDs as much as the rest. And, and it's one of the reasons that I think elementary PE in our district has, has thrived and the, the middle school, high school has actually decreased in terms of the number of staff members. Okay. Um, so, I mean, that's, it's, it's still amazing though. Like, you know, that once a month kind of a thing where they get a couple hours and they get real specific, you know, uh, PEPD. Um, how did you, I guess, how did you swing that with the district? How did you make it work? And, um, well, the district had a PD day. The, the biggest problem we had was convincing the district that we would take that PD uh, which was for principals and their faculties, um, and that we would take it and we would make it meaningful to PE people and, and hold them accountable um, to 
to being there. We, and so, I mean, it's a hard and fast rule. You don't skip that professional development or you have a real problem because we needed to maintain our credibility to the administration that indeed, if they weren't going to the school faculty meeting, they were going to RPD. Okay. And, and so I, I think, you know, you have to convince them that something's really going to happen and that we're really here. Here's what our agenda is. I mean, we have agendas. We know what we're teaching. Uh, we know who's coming in. I mean, they're very, very structured and organized. And people sometimes, uh, you know, teachers get taken aback by structure. But I, I'm asking, what other business would you just say, oh, we'll meet whenever we feel like it. Um, well, well, we'll pull together, maybe do this. I don't know what our next agenda is for our meeting. We'll just do wherever we want. I mean, once again, it's in, in PE, we, it's been sort of a lazy fair, do whatever you want, because nobody really cares what the PE teacher does. Mm -hmm. Someone's got to care. You know, to be honest with you, a lot of principals don't really care what the PE teacher does. I'd just be yeah, blunt. Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, unless they get a complaint from home that you, you know, you did something wrong with the kid or something, and, and you did something that wasn't uh, educationally sound, other than that, you know, principal, uh, they don't really care. You have to be accountable to somebody. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. So, um, so, yeah, it's good. It's good to have that structure. It's good to have that meeting time. But, you know, it, it does. It needs to be used. And, uh, you know, it needs to be used to continue to, to better those teachers. And, um, yeah, it's professional development. And I think a lot of teachers out there are really looking for it and they just can't quite get it. So you guys are lucky that you had, you do have it set up and that it is there. Uh, because like I say, I'm sure that there are many others that are kind of craving that as well uh, and just can't get it. Well, I will say this, Matt, let me, before we let them off the hook that easy, um, because I think you're letting them down a little easy and right. saying, well, they, they can't get it. So I, I'm going to say baloney. Um, they can get it. What you have to do is you have to actively seek it. In other words, if you want your principal to take an interest in you, then you have to make it known to the principal that I really like you coming around. I really like you giving me some feedback. I really like you knowing what I'm doing. I really like you helping me when I want to invite parents in or I want to have a, a, an evening extravaganza or whatever. I really like your help. In other words, you have to communicate with your administrator. And I find more often than not that the PE person doesn't ever go to the principal's office and seek out their help with coming and watching me and helping me become a better teacher. The only time they go to them is when they have a problem and they want help and support. And, you know, think about it. Where does that ever work? In what context does that ever work when you only go to your uh, authority figure when something's wrong or to complain? You, to say something positive like, man, you know, I, I appreciate you being the principal. I, I respect that. You understand teaching. You may not know PE, and I'll grant you that, okay? Fine, you haven't taught PE, but boy, you can see when kids are bouncing off the wall. You know when kids are standing in line. You know when kids are getting bored. Right. You know when kids aren't listening. You know when kids are bullying other. My gosh, um, a principal does know a lot, and you don't have to necessarily... I think it'd be great if they were all P teachers. And by the way, it's been estimated yeah. that about 50% of them are, yeah, yeah. you know. 
It's true. So, you know, I'm not going to let them off the hook. You can get your principal down there. Well... Go visit with them. And I was specifically talking more about PE-specific PD, um, but you're right in the same sense. You've got to advocate for your own. Um, you know, like if you're in a small district, if you're in a small school, yeah, people aren't going to be coming in and probably delivering that PE-specific professional development, but you can still go out there and look for it, ask for it. Um, so I think you're absolutely right in that regards as well. Like you do need to advocate for, for it and for yourself. Um, yeah. And you're right also uh, in a small, and, and that's why I speak to that in a small district, because in a small district, the only, the only feedback you're going to get is probably from that. Principle. Yep. Yep. Um, all right. We'll let's, let's take a look uh, just a little bit more at the curriculum. Um, and I guess, you know, there were, there were a couple different parts of it and I don't want to use the term common, uh, but again, uh, similar curriculums, uh, you know, where you can, you can have that freedom. And I know you talked about physical activity and skill development, uh, you know, fitness being a part of it and having, uh, as you talked about some individual, some dual and some team, um, and then again, proper equipment. So if we can, uh, kind of just get a conversation going about that curriculum, what it looks like, sounds like, feels like, um, and that type of stuff, uh, I think, is kind of our final piece here. Okay. Um, well, first of all, I, you know, I have a lesson format. I mean, you, you know, when you, uh, when you develop a, a lesson format, you've got to have some plan. Um, one of the things, you know, they looked at 11,000 studies of where, when kids excel in school and do well. Manage, good management techniques and organization were the two things. In other words, structure, so kids knew what to expect. Kids don't like to be surprised. And so it, your lesson should be similar every day in structure. You, 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 you know, we start with an introductory activity where we warm kids up, get them ready for activity, give them immediate activity coming in. I mean, one of my pet peeves is to bring kids into an activity setting and then tell them to sit there and while I tell you what we're going to do today. They could care less. They want to move. So if you want to talk to them, talk to them after you've moved them because tired kids always listen better than <laughs> kids coming in uh, for the, right off the you bat. got that right. <laughs> and, then, and then we do a fitness component. The fitness component of the lesson is not to work kids out and... and try to get them fit. I mean, let's be honest. We're never going to get kids fit in PE. Let's stop it. We're never going to do it. Why? We don't have enough time. We don't have enough time, enough contact. So it's never going to happen. So, but I do want them to develop some perceived competence about fitness, that there are some things in fitness they can do and feel good about it. I'm a perceived competence guy. I want my kids leaving PE in sixth grade feeling that they can do a whole lot of things, both in skills and fitness and activity. The third part of my lesson is the instructional part, where I'm going to teach things. And that, that could be skills, that could be, low, uh, that could be some sport activities, it could be some individual challenge activities, depending on the type of unit. And then I always finish with a game and closing activity, because I want kids to leave having fun. And what we remember in a sequence of experiences is the very first one and the very last one. And I want them to leave PE feeling really good about that and feeling included and that it was an inclusive game where we all got to play and be an important part. And so I really work hard 
to make sure that they leave with a positive feeling. And then we take the last couple minutes and close up the lesson and, and uh, refresh and maybe do a quick assessment of what we've done that day. Um, and so that's the lesson plan format. As far as the curriculum, the curriculum, it, you know, if we find new units that are good and can be substituted in, we're always happy to do that. If you looked at our curriculum when we started 40 years ago and looked at it today, it's entirely different. We have all different kinds of fitness activities, all different kinds of units, but we know where we're going. It's laid out for the year. We know where we're going to be on week 18. We know what we're doing. Now, we give teachers a lot of flexibility. If a teacher says, wow, I, I don't want to teach it there, I won't move it here, the only thing they have to do is submit a simple form which tells, them, tells us that they want to change this unit, put it over there, substitute one, put a different one in, so we know. In other words, we're a team, we're working together, and you decided you wanted to try something else, fine, but not in the vacuum of doing whatever you want whenever you want. And if it would be a unit we didn't think was beneficial uh, or good for kids, we would, you know, we would certainly not approve it. I would say about 95% of them get approved. All right, that's cool. So there's lots of chance to flex, but it's not where you're just freelancing, running around, doing it every you want, whenever you want, um, picking what you want to do. It's a curriculum. So... Uh, as I said, the, the units of instruction, the lesson focuses are individual in nature, probably followed by a dual activity, followed by a small group or large group activity. And we keep alternating those so kids come into something they want. You know, if you teach eight weeks of basketball and a kid hates basketball, yeah. th they can't separate basketball from PE. Right. From that point forward, they don't like PE. And once a kid doesn't like PE, you got to hope that he doesn't grow up to be a superintendent and then say, I don't like PE. Mm -hmm. Good balance. Good balance. Um, do, do you want to dive into like physical activity skill? Um, yes. Um, I, I'll, just, I'll just hit that. Uh, how are we doing for time, Mike or, oh, or Matt? Are we doing good? We're doing good. Yeah, we got as long, okay. as, we, got as, long as we want. But I, you know, I'd, okay. I'd at least love to hear just your thoughts on it and just in general. Yeah. Well, now you're talking sort of about outcomes for the program. And if you, if you look at outcomes for the program uh, and you look at the, the national standards, and, and people always ask me, what do you think of those national standards? I think they're pretty darn good. Uh, you know, I think they say clearly what this profession should be about. And if you look at them, there's basically three, three things. Skill development, fitness, and a lifetime of physical activity, and social development. Okay? Social development isn't taught all that much in terms of a curriculum and can be taught by other people within the school and a lot of social development is taught by the kind of teacher you are and how you model and the kinds of things you say and do yeah. and how you handle things such as bullying and taking turns and all that sort of thing. So that's a social thing. That's not particularly a, a curriculum that you can write unless you're writing a character development uh, curriculum. And that's a whole different ball of wax. NPE, we do do a lot in that area. But if you look at the three that are activity-based... The standards cover it clearly. 
To my amazement, I'm always amazed how we start going outside those three areas and we say, oh, we want a perceptual motor program, we want movement education, we want conceptual PE, we want technology, and we want all these other things, and we lose sight of the fact of the three standards uh, or five standards that direct us in the area in which our profession should go and what it's about. And I think they were beautifully written, and I love the way they're translated. Well, oftentimes we get lost. Okay. And so when you write a year-long curriculum, what should it point toward? Those three things. So let's talk about the activity one. The best way, how, when you think about what we're graduating kids with, the biggest thing that they could leave school with would be knowing how to be active for a lifetime. Knowing what it takes to be active. And the best way to call attention to your activity level and learn what it's about is through pedometers and, and monitoring activity. Now, there are other ways to monitor activity, but it's a pain in the neck for teachers to open up a pedometer, have a kid write it down. He forgot where he put his form to write it down, put it back, and guess what? It becomes a source of irritation. You know what I've found out about teachers? Anything that's a source of irritation, they don't do, unless there's uh, observation coming up. So the, the, the problem here is that you've got to do it in a way in which it's not a source of irritation. But if you don't use pedometers, then how do you know how active you are and whether you need to be more active, number one. Number two, physical activity is the one outcome we truly can measure with accuracy. And number two, every kid can increase no matter what. Skill development, we still haven't found a good way to monitor skills. I mean, we come up with some rubric, some four-point rubric for throwing, and the kid, you know, takes his step towards the target, puts his arm up like a T, you know, rotates his body and follows through. And we say, yeah, you got the four points of throwing, but they, you look at it, and it's not a throw at all. Um, so we really haven't learned how to do that and, and think if it's in, and don't think it's of much value because if you think about it, we try to continue th improving throwing forever. So skill development is genetically controlled, 50 to 60 percent. Fitness performance is genetically controlled, 50 to 60 percent. We've even in identified the genotype that controls some of fitness. So it's, it's very genetically controlled. And so even though a kid would love to knock the top off the fitness test and, you know, just knock it out of the park, some of them just aren't capable. And I know when I'm talking to teachers, they know darn well there's no way every kid in their class could knock the top off the fitness test. Just not going to happen. In fact, the only way you get really high results on a fitness test is to cheat. Um, because it's just impossible. It's who they are. So what is the one thing that every kid, no matter what, can improve on? And it's activity. Tall, short, fat, skinny, whatever kind of kid it is, they can all do more today than they did yesterday in terms of activity. Every one of them. And why don't we monitor that outcome when we have today the best pedometers out there now that are every bit as accurate as an accelerometer, studies to show it, evidence to show it, 
They don't break anymore. I mean, I'm talking, you know, let me talk about the product I know best. And, and so truth in advertising here, I've developed pedometers for over 20 years. I started with Walk for Life and then went to Gopher and developed them for them. The latest Fitstream pedometers from Gopher, you can drop them, they don't break. They upload with the push of the button. You don't even need to open them. And they clear and they're ready to go. It's so easy that there's no pencil paper stuff anymore. It's all uploaded to your computer. Then we have the software that's free that you make all your reports right from that. It's the easiest thing to show accountability for that we have. We spend six weeks fitness testing in some schools. Six weeks, yeah. a sixth of your curriculum. And let me just say about assessment and, and fitness testing and that sort of thing. I'm not opposed to fitness testing. In fact, I advocate self-testing where kids evaluate themselves in elementary school. But when you are testing someone, whether it's skills or fitness, they aren't learning a thing. They're only regurgitating what they already know. So you're taking six weeks just a fitness test, and now you're going to take some more time to skills test, and you're going to end up, when you only see them once or twice a week as it is, and you've used a quarter of your curriculum where they learn nothing. They only regurgitate where they are. I'm not opposed to assessment, but I'm saying we got to make some wise choices about the kind of assessment we can do. I agree. A I agree. A and a pedometer is the easiest thing in the world, and teachers are always worried that kids are going to lose them or not take care of them. Look, I've been working with them in the schools for quite some time now. That's not an issue. That's not an issue. That is an issue that teachers want to raise. And anything you use in PE, you, you, you lose playground balls, you lose computers, you lose all kinds of things when you're teaching. So we use, lose a pedometer or two. We're not going to use it because of that? I mean, it's crazy. And it's the easiest thing in the, do, in the world to do. It calls attention to it. And guess what? They leave school knowing how to monitor their activity. Because one of the things we know about adults and kids both they overestimate how active they are and they underestimate how much they eat and the number of calories they ingest. And then, of course, we have the obesity crisis on our hands. So uh, I, I just think in terms of accountability measures, the one that we can really do that would really make sense and is, by the way, I, I would say to you that the results of using a pedometer versus fitness testing, the pedometer is immensely more accurate. Well... I think you've you've kind of hit on a couple of really good points, and I'll just kind of go back and and reiterate them again. It's it's objective, you know, when you're talking about that, uh, which I think is is really important. And I love the fact that, again, every student can improve on it. The the, the fact that you said that, and I don't know how many times I've mentioned it in my class, and I and I know I always need to mention it more. Is, you know we might be in this basketball unit or we might be in this cardiovascular fitness unit or we might be in this or that. But um, it's not about that. It's about being active, you know, and, and, and you know, it's not about basketball. It's, it's the activity within basketball. So I, I love that fact that you said that is, is something you could improve on. Um, and again, it's something that can be focused on every unit throughout the year as well. So, um, you know, it can kind of continually bring that focus to, you know, just continue to stay active because that's what we're looking for. It doesn't matter which one of those sports activities, interests that they end up choosing, they choose to 
be active somehow, some way as they become that adult. And as long as we start striking on that when they're young, I do feel like that's extremely important. So I, well, good. I love it. I'm with yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. We're, <laughs> we're right there. Well, yeah. Bob, I know that we probably could talk for three or four more hours. But we should, uh, we should probably wrap it up. So, uh, you know, again, just I, I really appreciate you being here with us. Uh, you know, you talking about things that have been created over the course of many, many years um, and a philosophy and, you know, where with many, many people are involved. Um, but again, it's something that we can take. And again, um, individuals around the country, around the world listening to this can take bits and pieces of this and, and maybe take the whole thing and, and start piecing it together uh, where they're at too. So uh, any final take-homes just for our audience today that you'd like to get across? Yeah, I, I, I always like to end up by saying to all you teachers out there, thank you for being teachers. I can't thank you enough for what you do for our society. You are the fabric of our society. If you want to know where kids learn good, if you want to know where kids learn how to behave, it's schools. It's nowhere else. They wouldn't need schools if parents could teach all those things at home or if the clergy could do it or if the police could do it. But schools do this stuff day in, day out. And you are the heroes of our society. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And I've, I'm proud to be a teacher educator. I'm proud to be a teacher of children. Uh, and I'm proud to be call myself one of you, a teacher, and I thank all of you for what you do for others. Uh, you truly are a service-oriented profession. And thank you, teachers, again, for being teachers. Well, definitely thank you. And thank you for all your work you've done over the many years for our profession. And uh, keep going strong. I mean, Bob's on top of technology. He knows everything that's going on. I mean, he's on podcasts, webinars. He's all over the place. So uh, thank you for your enthusiasm and your passion um, and again, sharing, you know, everything that you do know uh, with teachers that are out there. So uh, we appreciate you being on the Shape America podcast, Bob. Thank you, Matt. Bye-bye. All right. See you later.